How are you able to adopt these things to become maybe more efficient? How do you grow revenue using ChatGPT and generative AI tools? And it's coming. I mean, it's coming. And anybody who tells you it's not coming is living in a dreamland and they're going to get left behind. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Rajiv Kapoor, CEO of 1105 Media, a PE-backed leading provider of B2B marketing, events, and media services, where he oversees a diverse portfolio of five companies that range from big data analytics training to lead gen in the private and public sector, IT, enterprise, and emerging tech sector. In 2021 and 2022, Rajiv was a finalist for both Entrepreneur and Innovator of the Year from the Orange County Business Journal, and he was named as one of the top 500 leaders in Orange County. He's been a member of YPO for over 15 years and has been a guest contributor to CNBC. He also sits on the board of SparkTech, a leading AI, ML, and analytics software development company, as well as the nonprofit Rainbow Services. In 2021, he became a best-selling author when he launched his new leadership book, Chase Greatness, Enlightened Leadership for the Next Generation of Disruption. Rajiv, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Carol. Appreciate it. So, well, I'm happy to have you. So tell me a little bit, you know, normally I ask people what the problem is that they're solving, and you really have really four companies underneath the umbrella of 1105. Tell me a little bit about those and the genesis of, of, of that for you. So look, I mean, you know, the interesting thing about the way 1105 is set up, it all got put together through PE partnerships and all these companies came together through acquisitions. And th- this all got put together back like 17 years ago. So the fact that a private equity firm is still involved 17 years later is almost unheard. Yeah, exactly. Right? And so, you know, it it, had gone through the 2008 to 2010 economic challenges Mm -hmm. and had gone through a change of being about 35% print revenue focused and print magazines. And, you know, like B2B print was, you know, you walk into a dentist office, you got dental hygienist magazine today type of a thing, right? People don't look at that stuff anymore, right? And so... You know, we had to trans, you know, so one problem we had, we had to go from being a print, fairly print heavy company to a digital, more of a digital company, right? So we did those kinds of things, right? We had to continue to find ways to launch our events and increase our event business, increase our training and education portfolio as we landed the plane on the print side of things. And so, but then you have yeah, 2008, 2010, you had the, you know, so, so that was a big shift. You know, you then had a, a change when when I kind of came on board with the private equity firm in 2014. You know, that whole change. And so there was probably like a three, four window there, three, four year window where things were just kind of an autopilot. There wasn't a lot of change happening. And so every company was its own individual silo. And that's, you know, good and bad, right? I mean, each, and each company is its own level of maturity. But the problem is you, you no one was really sharing best practices. No one was talking about what they were seeing. So those were some of the things. So we really had to, I had to really come in and they really kind of really change around the culture. So, so not only did we have to, not only when I joined, did we have to figure out the print situation, we had to change the culture of the business, you know, and we, we had to go from being a business that primarily was put together through acquisition to one focusing on like, how do we retool this entire business and focus on growth? How do we exponentially focus on growth? So we're in the process of doing that when all of a sudden this thing called COVID happened. Well, COVID hit, and well, guess what? We couldn't do we couldn't, couldn't do we couldn't do events anymore, right? And so we were growing, we were doing great, and all of a sudden, imagine you're going, you know, 140 odd employees, and all of a sudden you hit a wall going 100 miles an hour. 
you know, cards go to explode everywhere, right? And that's kind of what happened to us. And that's kind of the analogy I give. And we lost all that event business overnight. And we're still recovering from that. And, and I would argue that we still, we're still not back from that. You know, you can go to Laker game, you can go to the movie theater, it'll be packed. But when it comes to B2B events and B2B training and education, you know, people have kind of, you know, a lot of CEOs have said, oh, just do it over Zoom or whatever, or do it virtually, right? And those are the types of things that people don't want to do anymore. That's right. Now we're in a tough economic climate. Yeah. We're in a tough economic climate as well now. So we're kind of recovering from, we're recovering from COVID. Now we've got a tough economic climate. We are in a tech recession and we're very tech oriented in terms of the markets we serve. So we are in a tech recession. We may not be in a, you know, U.S.-based you know, recession or a global recession, but we're definitely in a tech recession. And you can see that with all the layoffs happening. So we're coming from that. And so, and so that, that, that was the challenge was how do you, how do you save the company? How do you morph the company? How do you change the company? How, how do you go from having five offices to no offices and everybody working from home and, and, you know, maintain that culture and how do you get partners involved to help you? And, and those are the kind of some of the things that, that we hit and challenges. And I talk a little bit about that in my book and some other challenges and, you know, fast forward now. And, you know, we, um, we had a bunch of debt and guess what? We paid off all that debt now. And we, you know, we, we are highly, highly, highly profitable and we are a cash generating machine. And, you know, so it's a complete turnaround from, uh, from what it was from, from when I joined, you know, 70 years ago. Right. So what did you do to come out of this, you know, disaster <laughs> to become profitable again? So what I try to tell people and CEOs is, you know, you can get really enamored with EBITDA, right? You can really get enamored with that operating income. Yeah, every, EBITDA everybody and talks about things, that, right? right? Yeah, sure. Right. And so what I try to tell people is you, so that, that's, that's fine to measure, but I really want you to focus on measuring free cash flow. And so we really, about five years ago, really four or five years ago, we really started shifting our mindset to focus more on generating how much free cash are we generating in the business. And we're generating, you know, a few million dollars a year of free cash now into the business. And so that, that's really the metric we look at. But we weren't doing that uh, before COVID hit. And so and then now if you look at where we are, our gross margins have, have gone up by about 40% across the business. Um, you know, we, 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 our, our print mix went from about 35%, like I mentioned earlier, down to about three or 4%. So that is a huge benefit to us in our margins. You know, we, we have completely retooled and restructured the company and the team in terms of, you know, everybody works from home now. So we don't um, have a lot of, you know, when I joined at the company, we had almost $2 million a year in leasing costs in an office space, yeah, right. you know, and that all goes away, mm -hmm. right? We had all this debt and, you know, we, mm -hmm. we, I sold off one of the divisions, paid off all of our debt. So we have no more debt. So we don't, you know, so we don't have to service any more debt. So, so that's huge. But when COVID hit, one of the things you realize is that, you know, there's no case study to go read, right? There's no, like, I, I couldn't, I, I'm, there's no Harvard case study on COVID. Mm -hmm. There will be, there will be at some point. <laughs> there will be at some point, but that's, my, but that was the message I gave my right. team. Oh my guys, well, I said, guys, we're going to be the case study. So let's go figure this out. And so we did a whole bunch of cool things and I'll tell you about them in a moment, but I couldn't call a mentor. Like I couldn't call Michael Dell. So I used to work for him. I couldn't, he didn't know what to do. No one knew what to do. Right. Right? I couldn't call members of my board had no idea what to do. Right. And so, so we went and had to go figure it out and we, we, we kind of put on your big boy pants and you go figure it out. So some of the things we did was, you know, everybody kind of, you know, started working from home and we did our furloughs and layoffs, you know, you know, here's the other thing we did. You know, we didn't take a dollar of government money. We, we, we didn't take a dollar of taxpayer money. There's a lot of people out there who did and who didn't use it for their companies. They used it for themselves. And that to me is ridiculous. Th that's the government not knowing how to do anything, but that, that's, right. that's, a, that's so, for a separate show. <laughs> right. But the point of it is, is that, we, you know, we, we didn't do it. And so some people say, oh, we should have done it. And well, you know, to do it or not do it, the, the bottom line here is that we were going to figure it out. So, so we did what we did. We were able to bring people back within six months. We were able to restore a lot of the pay cuts, almost all, all the pay cuts within six months. We started generating cash again. We worked with all of our vendors. One of the big things we did was we worked with all of our vendors, all of our vendor partners. And we went to them and said, look, here's the situation. You know, we need you to come down in your cost to us by anywhere from 10 to 20%. Or we're going to go out to bid. And Carol, 95% of them did. The 5% that didn't were the big guys like a Microsoft or an Amazon Web Services, whatever. But you know what they did? They gave us six-month payment terms. You know, they gave us time. You know, they, 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 they were hounding us. They understood. They, they let us go on a little payment plan, whatever the case might be. But, but even then, there were, I mean, we only had one vendor 
out of all the vendors we went to and all the vendors we work with across all the all the different companies, we only had one vendor that, that said, said no. no. Yeah, that's that said amazing. No. Now, fast forward two years later, you know, and we had a contract, so we couldn't renegotiate that contract. We couldn't get, get rid of them, but but they did do it. Now they they did it finally, but they did it two years later. So it's fine. But you know, it shows you when you know, when when you, when you have, when when you're a vendor to somebody, and that client comes to you and says, "Look, we really need your help," and you're unwilling to help, you're not. You know, you're probably not going to be their customer for for very long. I agree. I mean, you know that that happened to me with one one of my vendors, and they were like, "Sorry, you have a three year contract." I'm like, okay, well, you know, guess guess who's not going to be renewing at the end of that period? Yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. So, so those are some of the things we did. You know, we focused a lot on the culture. People started working from home. You know, we we we, we kind of did this mindset shift of, you know, it's like, you know, our our attrition rates, you know, fell fell to the floor because we, you know we we really started to focus on. You, know, you really focus, uh, the big shift we made internally in the company was, you know, when you get on an airplane, what do they tell you? They tell you, look, in case of turbulence, a mask might fall from the ceiling. They tell you to put your own mask on first. And this is not about, this is not a mask or not mask thing with COVID. Yeah, no, no, this is I just about, the, this is about the mask yep. that comes from the, right. from the airplane. So that you have right? oxygen. What, <laughs> right. So why do they tell you to put your own mask on first? Because if you don't, you're of no value to anybody. <laughs> Right. And so that's what we did. So we said, you know what? So I made a big shift with my team, my, my management team. We said, look, we're going to put our own, I want each, each of you to put your own mask on first. I want, I want a lot of mental wellness and self-care focus mm-hmm. here for the team. And our internal customer is going to be our primary customer base. So our employees are going to be our first customer. Our external customers are going to be our second customer. Because if we can take care of the internal customer first, we will take care of the external customer. No problem. And that's what, and that's really worked. Yeah. So I'm curious because this is, this is what my whole business is based on is what it means to be town centric, that your people have to be more important than everything. And I'm curious that that, that you didn't have that epiphany until COVID. Well, look, we, we always were there. So, you know, we were always there. We were recognized for being a good place to work and all those things. You know, it was always there. Right. But we never measured it. Right. We never, we never made it a priority. We didn't, we didn't offer mental wellness days until COVID happened, right? We, we didn't, you know, we, we, you know, for example, we, we started offer, we started doing a pay day off for everybody to go vote awesome. on, 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 on election day every year, even in the off years. So it's all these things kind of came out of that, right? And, and so it wasn't that we didn't care about the employees. We did. I mean, our attrition rates were always pretty low, right? Our attrition rates were always less than 5%. Right now, our attrition, rate, right now, our attrition rates are less than 2%. That's fabulous. In fact, when yeah. people leave us, they boomerang back in. You know, you know, or, you know, so, so that's great. So we've always kind of been an employee centric company, but it was never like, you know, it, it was never like front and center, right? You know what I mean? You know, so, but now, so, so over the last three plus years, it's been real front and center. And, you know, it's, uh, and that was partly because of the fact that we are five or now four separate companies, right? That roll up to me. So I'm CEO of a holding company and I have four, I have three actually division presidents mm-hmm. and those three division presidents run four companies. Right. And then we have shared services that, that cut across HR, finance, IT, that's right. the other companies. Right. And so, you know, they all have their individual P and L's, but they're all at different levels of maturity, right? They're at different sizes, you know, that they have different customer bases. So, so that becomes hard when you, you know, so I'm not CEO of one company, I'm CEO of four companies. And I have to, and I have to understand, and, and this is not a pity party. I just, it just is what it is. You know, this is just, you know, I have to understand four different, you know, employee bases, right? You have to understand four different customer sets. You have to understand four different investment theses, right? That, that are out there. So, so that's what it is. And, and you know, and so, you know, you, um, when, you know, COVID said, you know, at the end of the day, you know, um, People just want to be respected no matter what it is. And so don't worry about all that other stuff. And so that's what we did. Yeah. And, you know, did I care? Do I care if the job gets done at 10 a.m. or 10 p.m.? No, mm-hmm. I don't. As long as the job gets done. Right. Well, I think, you know, I, I would say, I, I bet north of 95% of the founders and CEOs that I interview have that attitude. They just don't care. And then, you know, I, I, I'll read something about, you know, XYZ company requiring everybody to be in and, you know, and, and I mean, I can tell you a million stories and, and I just don't understand. I've never understood that, frankly, 
I mean, it's one thing if you've got salespeople who can only sell during the business day, right? Um, you know, they're, you know, they're not going to get in front of their customers at 10 o'clock at night. Could they be sitting at home 10 o'clock at night doing some paperwork? Sure they can, but they may not be able to get in front of their customers at that time of the evening. So I think, you know, a lot of this is looking at, you know, each individual responsibility and what it's going to take to succeed in that. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm a sales guy. Yeah. Like my, my, my first job was hundred percent commission sales for gaming. I know we're going to talk, we're going to talk about company. that. Your, your PC, right, was, your PC upbringing. <laughs> right. And you know, and from there, so then I was, yeah. a, then I was a sales guy for Dell yeah, or whatever. Yeah, right. So yeah. I, I grew up on the sales and marketing yeah. side of the house. Yeah. Right. But nowadays there's more power in, I, I, I can run, I, I mean, I, I can run 95% of my business on my iPhone now, mm-hmm. right? The only thing I don't do on my iPhone is I don't do my staff meetings and I don't, even then I've done a couple staff meetings, yep. but I don't do my board meetings on my iPhone. Right. Other than that, I can do anything else yep. on my iPhone, yep. right? But here's the thing, even a salesperson, first of all, it, there's a fallacy that all salespeople are working eight hours a day. It's just not possible, right? Uh, that's number one. Okay. Well, what I mean by that is they're, they're not doing eight hours of sales calls. No, of course not. It's not right? possible. There's a lot of prep work that happens. So what, what, what this does is this allows them to break up their day, right? They, they, they can now say, all right, I'm going to make my two or three hours worth of sales calls in the morning. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to have a lunch. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go do whatever I need to do. I have the flexibility to go to the doctor, go to the dentist, go do whatever I need to do come back, I might put another hour or two in, and then, you know what, I'm going to do all my paperwork, my funnel forecasting, all that late at right. night when, I, when it's a bit more mm-hmm. quiet, right? So they're still putting in their eight hours. It's just not a continuous right. nine to five. It's, right. it's you know, it's, it's eight to eight or whatever the case might be, but it's all right. broken up in that time, yeah. right? Well, and, I, and so- no, Go on, I'm sorry. No, I'm just going to say, right? I mean, I, I have employees who, you know, used to live here in Southern California who decided they wanted to move out of California, Right. And they wanted to go to other places, Oklahoma, Florida, other places, right? Texas. And so, so they wanted to do that. And so, you know, we haven't missed a beat with time zone differences. Or, you know, I have a, I have one of my group presidents um, went, went on vacation to Croatia and she didn't miss a beat. You know, she still did what she needed to do from Croatia, right? And you can do that. So, so that's, you know, the, the world, the world is adapting and, and evolving and, you know, it's going to be even more disruption is coming thanks to things like ChatGPT and AI and other things. Right. Well, and you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm often asked um, on my own interviews that I'm on, um, podcast interviews about, um, y- you know, what my feelings are about this, that, or the other. And, you know, my, my response, and you'll appreciate this as a sales guy, is it depends. <laughs> you know, I mean, ask any salesperson a question and their answer is, can, might frequently be, well, it depends. I mean, if it's not just a yes or a no question, right? And I think that, you know, this, this whole thing around COVID and that we're even still talking about it three years later, the way we are, um, I mean, I think there's pluses and minuses of it. I mean, at some point, we, I, I think we just need to let, let it go because it's going to become endemic if it's not already. Um, and we have to learn to live with it, right? But what it, you know, what it did, I would say the positive thing, and this is coming from somebody who has been working from home for 21 years, 22 years, 21 years. Um, that, you know, should people, should you have a hybrid model? Should you have an all in the office? Should you have 100% remote? It depends. It depends on your organization. It depends on what kind of a company you are. It depends on, um, can, you, can you generate a culture effectively? I mean, and on and on and on, right? So my question to you would be in going from how you did to a remote work environment, how have you managed to preserve your culture? So here's the thing. We were a little bit different, you know, uh, unlike maybe some of your other guests. Before COVID, almost half my company was remote already. So, you know, and then the ones that were in the offices, like, for example, my Orange County office here in Orange County, California, that office in Irvine was a mutt office. There was there were seventeen people in that office, but in that office were were people who supported all four different companies. So that you you may only have worked with only two or three people in that office. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're really interacting. Sure, okay. you get to know people, whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. We do all that stuff, but we but we still try to do the, but we still do virtual game nights, and we we still do the 
you know, now like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll go to an angel game and get a suite there and mm -hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll do barbecues and we'll do yeah. all those other fun things. And we do the holiday parties mm -hmm. and we celebrate birthdays. So we do all those things. We still do, you know, like for example, a recognition event has always been virtual because we have employees all over the country. So we do a quarterly recognition event. We do town halls on a monthly basis for each individual business, but even those businesses have, have employees all over the, so our, our data analytics training company, for example, Quite a few of the employees are in the Seattle area because that's where the company was originally with an office. But some of our key management is in New York, for example, right? So, you know, people, you know, all of our salespeople are remote and work from home all over the country. So, you know, we, know, we haven't really skipped, we haven't skipped a beat. I mean, if, if we were having a problem, our attrition rates would be through the roof. Right, but we're not. Our attrition rates are, our, our attrition mm -hmm, rates are mm -hmm. really low and, you know, knock on wood. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's what, you know, so I'm really proud of the team and what they've done and how, how they've embraced it. And, you know, the, the business unit leaders, you know, they, you know, the presidents of the group, you know, get all the credit and, and you know, our VP of HR and our CIO and our CFO and, you know, the, those guys as well get all the credit for, for managing their teams. Right. And, you know, so they, you know, they're doing, they're doing a great job with it. And, you know, and you, you know, you know, you know, what we hear mm. the feedback I get is when we ask them all the time and we had a board meeting last week and one of my board members asked the management team said, Hey guys, have, you know, how are you guys doing? You want to go back to offices? And they all said, no, no one wants to go back to an office. And, you know, and it, it's one thing if we're not performing, but we're performing really well. Right. And you, you, you know what the feedback we get from employees, you know, is, you know, you know we, we get, we get more time to spend with our kids. I don't have to, I don't have to get up early in the morning to dress up, put on makeup, drive an hour, drive half an hour, 45 minutes right. to an hour each way mm -hmm. in traffic. Mm -hmm. I don't have that stress. That's right. I can take, uh, you know, the, the fathers in the group say, I can finally take, drop my kid off at school and walk him to school, whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. You know, the, 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 the uh, you know, the women in the group are, Hey, look, I don't have to get all make made up and all this stuff and all these things that, you know, I can go do where I can go. If I need to go run a quick errand in the middle of the day, I can, I don't worry about it, you know? And so, so there, there's a lot of pluses. Sure. I mean, do you miss some of that camaraderie and some of that bonding at the water cooler? Yeah, sure. But do you know how many times I used to hear my fellow CEOs, whether in white people complain that too many people are standing around the water, water cooler, water cooler, just BSing around too. So it happens, right? So, you know, thanks to things like Microsoft teams and other things, you know, people feel connected. And so, so we're so we're so you know, we're, we're we're doing just fine, you know. Well, will we be will we be fine in a year or two years? I don't know. Time will tell, you know. And if it requires us to have an office somewhere, then we'll have an office somewhere. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I agree. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, your journey um, to where you are today and founding your you know founding your company in 2014. Um, as, as we started, uh, as you mentioned, and as I was going to ask you about, you got your start at Gateway selling PCs and then, you know, and then had a pretty successful 11 years uh, working for Dell um, and yeah, you know, certainly moved up the time. food chain there. Right. Um, but tell me about, you know, about that, what you learned there. And, and as you moved on, you know, when you left Dell and went to Insteon and so on and, and really when the, you know, and then you had another, another startup, but, but when the, when the epiphany happened for your current organization, kind of walk me through that. Yeah. I mean, so look, the, the you know, the gateway thing was really interesting. Uh, I was, it was in 1991. Yeah. I was, how old was I? Like 22, 23 years old. I finished my undergrad. I was doing an internship. Internship was finishing. The company was struggling a little bit. And my boss, my mentor at the company said, hey, I know this VP of sales at Gateway. Only problem is, is that the Gateway company is in South Dakota, in, in North Sioux City, South Dakota. Yikes. <laughs> and I had, and there was another computer company in Orange County, California called AST. Yeah. And I remember AST sure, Research. Yeah, but yeah, I do, right? of course. There'll, there'll be people listening to this that have no idea who that is, but yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And so- <laughs> We're both old I, I enough to remember. <laughs> Yeah, so I did an intern. So I did an interview with them, mm -hmm. and the VP of International Sales looked at me and said, "Well, I have no experience, and so they're not going to give me an internship." I'm like, "Dude, it's an internship. Isn't the whole point of an internship is to is to give you a, you know whatever?" And so, to make a long story short, on that guy, it turns out that he actually knew my dad, and he and my dad had some issues, and so whatever the case might be. So that was just kind of a funny thing that happened. But anyways, I did, I accepted the gateway thing. The gateway thing was 100% commission mm -hmm. sales. And, you know, but my biggest takeaway that I tell young people today is you have to go to the job. 
And here I am, I, to, to take a kid born and raised in Southern California. I was born and raised in LA. Uh-huh. I was literally born, I was literally born underneath the Hollywood sign, right? <laughs> and, you know, uh, Laker fan, Dodge, you know, you know, whatever, LA born and bred, yeah, right? Yeah. And so, and you, and you want me to, and I'm going to move to South Dakota. Yeah. Well, turns out I couldn't even live in South Dakota because where Gateway was in South Dakota, there was no housing. So you had to live on the Iowa side of the Sioux City border, okay. the South Dakota, Iowa border <laughs> and come across and whatever the case might be. But regardless, I went to the job. And had I not done that, I don't know if I would be sitting where I am today. Because that was an experience at 22, 23 years old that I'll never get back. You know, and I tell my I tell my sons that all the time. I have a son graduating from USC here in, in a month. I have another son who's a sophomore at University of Miami, and you know I tell them all the time, you, know, you got to go to the job, and you know, and you know, and so I'm I'm lucky to to have done that, and I did that for a couple of years, and I got to know, did some amazing things at Gateway, and then uh, decided, you know what, I can't handle the the cold weather anymore, and and the lack of kind of a personal life. And so I applied to, I applied to Dell and I didn't hear anything. And then, uh, and then I finally sent a resume directly to Michael Dell. Three days later, I was on a plane to Austin and interviewed with a bunch of people and they offered me a job and I packed up and left and went, and went to Austin. And, you know, I started off as a phone sales rep managing kind of, I had a big account here. I was managing kind of the Southern California territory and, and one day, six months into the job, Michael Dell came to my little cube area and said, hey, aren't you the gateway guy? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I want to talk to you. And went to his office. And to make a long story short, he said, okay, I want you to work for me. So I worked for him for about a year. And and then I and then he helped shepherd my career along. And I went to the product group. I went to areas I didn't know. Yeah. I went to the product group. I went to marketing. I went to other areas. And so I met some amazing people. had some amazing mentors and eventually became uh, – the eventually grew, went back to the sales side and managed the entire West Coast for Dell, about a billion dollar plus business. And um, one day, and then in 2000, in 1999, moved back here to Southern California because I was here all the time on the West Coast. And, and uh, Michael called me one morning and said, Rajiv, I want you to go to China. So in uh, 2000, packed up, went to China, and did the whole China thing for a couple of years, and then Singapore. For, for a couple of years. And uh, so that was an amazing experience. And, you know, had uh, two boys and found out I was not spending any time with my kids and, you know, made, made, a fam- made, made a family decision to kind of come back. And, you know, because, you know, when you're, when you're in a Fortune 50 company, it, it's a sprint every 13 weeks, yeah. you know, because of the stock price. Well, right, of course. The stock price. Yeah. And when the stock price is doing great, Things are awesome. The stock price is doing great. Things are real challenging. Yeah, and so, right. so you know, you so you, you make you make that sprint. You make those decisions, and you you know, I made a, I made a family decision to say, look, I'm going to come back, and we're going to look for something different. And I did I did okay in my career, and that's when I joined um, Smart Home, which eventually became Instagram. Right. And and that that was uh, I went from I went from managing you know four hundred million dollar business in Singapore, all of South Asia, to a nineteen million dollar business. In, uh, in in Orange County, California, so it was quite, quite it was quite the culture shock for me, mm-hmm. and you know it took me about six months or a year to kind of figure out what I was doing because in a small company it's difficult to make a mistake, and because mm-hmm. if you do, it could be a real big trouble. And That's right. At Dell, you could make a million dollar mistake and not have a problem. You know, yeah, it's a yeah. it, it may go unnoticed. <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever, right? But <laughs> at, at a company where uh, if, if you make a hundred thousand dollar mistake or a fifty thousand yeah, dollar right. mistake, it's, it's a much company, bigger deal. Yeah, it's, it's much bigger deal, and so. You know, did that, and you know, we got you know, we focused on we'll work with the team. We, we built a great culture there, and really proud of what we did there. We doubled doubled the company, and we got the award for the best place to work in all of Orange County, which was pretty awesome. And, and then uh, joined a startup with with this guy I knew, and we had we had a great idea in the clean tech space back in two thousand late two thousand seven two thousand eight, and we started raising money and. I still remember we had raised a little over a million dollars and we had, but we had a couple more million dollars promised when we decided to go out for dinner and we took the, our three other employees out to dinner one night. And, and so we, uh, you know, we, uh, celebrated and the next day the economy collapsed <laughs> right? and all of our funding dried up and all of our promised funding disappeared as well. And so we spent, I spent the next two, three years bootstrapping right. it and, you know, eventually kind of sold off the IP and, you know, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a home run or anything. It was barely maybe a bun single, but, uh, 
you know, it was a, it was a tremendous learning experience, and it's one of those you hear the stories of fall down seven, get up eight. And mm-hmm. I think I lived the fall down seven, you know, get up eight, <laughs> and you know, I, I lived that for about three years, and so. You know, from there, I went to the audio technology company, and I, I got introduced to the to the groups uh, you know, who, who kind of own that business, and that was in Switzerland, in Zurich, and so I moved to Zurich for about four or five months, and then came back and and you know you know helped that company kind of grow, and eventually that eventually that that company ended up selling to a division which which was essentially logic, uh, sorry, uh, Sennheiser, you know the the headphone guys. Yes, 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 yes. Uh-huh. That they compete with Bose in Europe, so yep. Sennheiser, and so the Sennheiser Group bought, bought that business. And then I uh, was sitting around, and a month after sitting around, I got a call saying, "Hey, this private equity firm is struggling with one of their investments, and would I be interested in coming in here and retooling it, and restructuring it, and fixing it up?" And that's what got me to eleven oh five. It's been a it's been an amazing and fun ride, and I've learned so much, and so grateful for everything. And you know, it's been it's been it's been a lot of fun. And, Eventually, the the whole eventually we got through COVID, and I wrote my book during COVID, and I wrote a screen movie screenplay during COVID, which I sold. So that was kind of cool. So, awesome. so it's, been, it's, 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 it's been an interesting ride. I have an amazing team, and I'm uh-huh. just I'm blessed. So you mentioned that you're PE back, but you're not PE owned. Is that correct? No, I mean PE back, PE owned, same thing. Okay. So what has had them, you know, not sell the company? That's a good question. I think they really believe in our vision and my vision mm-hmm. for, for where we are. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, it's just because, you know, if, if you think about the, it, it, they couldn't sell between 2008, 2010. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I think they felt like there was an opportunity to kind of fix some, fix some things. Mm-hmm. They'd done a couple of small tuck in acquisitions mm-hmm. that, that didn't necessarily wouldn't work out all that well. And then they made that leadership change in late 2014, mm-hmm. early 2015, with, with me and kind of coming in and retooling everything and restructuring it. You know, and the, the, we knew that was going to take a couple of years, two, three years to do that, you know, to do those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so we did that. And, uh, you know, and then a, a, as we are getting ready to potentially look at potentially doing an exit, you then have COVID, right? Yeah. And so you're not going to sell during COVID. No. And so, you know, I, you know, so the good news is that they're, 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 I've got a great board, they're great partners, mm-hmm. you know, they, they are completely supportive when I need them and they're, they're, they're fairly hands off and, you know, that they, they will, you know, we will sell what I'm ready to sell basically, mm-hmm. I think. And, you know, when I go to them and say, look, you know, we have sold, I have sold. So, but prior, you know, 1105 used to be six companies. And right. so I sold two of them. Right. And, and so, and that, that, that was to pay off, you know, the debt and everything mm-hmm. else that we're sitting on the balance sheet and all those things. And so we did that. We did, we did, we did fairly well with those sales. And so, you know, it's good. So, so we are open to maybe selling a division or two or there. It all just depends if it's the right opportunity. Right. But when, but when you have a portfolio, when you're a CEO of a portfolio, it gives you that flexibility to do that. Right. So tell me a little bit more about each of these four companies that uh, are under your umbrella and, and what they each do. Kind of a you know high level view. So one of them is TDWI. That's T like Tom, D like David, W Whiskey, I India. Mm-hmm. So if, if listeners want, it stands for Transforming Data with Intelligence. Okay. And that is a big data and analytics, education and training and marketing and media company. And what they do is they do they will train your they will train your data analysts. They will train your data scientists. Mm-hmm. They will train your finance people, your IT people on the latest in business intelligence, data analytics, whatever it might be. Right? And they do. They can do that virtually. They can do that on site at your company, or they can do that through webinars. And we also do that through large face-to-face events. So, prior to COVID, you know, you'd go to an event in Vegas, Orlando, whatever the case may be. You have four or five hundred people showing up. Great networking opportunity, all those kinds of things. And we're, like I said, we're recovering now from the COVID timeframe, but hopefully we'll be back to those levels here fairly soon. And I think we're getting close. So, so that's kind of where we are there, right? So that's what that company does, right? And you know, when you think about large companies like Tableau and these things, so they kind of all kind of got their start for, from us. So we have an amazing database of people who are decision makers in that space. Mm. So people come to us for our audience and our database. Mm-hmm. Got it. So that's one company. Another company is our Converge 360 business. And that, and that, that business is also, that business is a 
B2B marketing and media company in the tech space, primarily around the Microsoft stack of products, mm-hmm. so Visual Studio. Okay. You know, we do we do a lot of stuff in the Azure space. We have mm-hmm. we do a lot of things around. We 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 have we have some really successful brands. One of them is virtualization and cloud review because cloud virtualization cloud is so big. We're very big in the cloud space, and so because of that, we do a lot of education training in the Microsoft stacks. So we do events there. We do a lot of B two B marketing and media and legion and activities in that space for companies that want that kind of tech mm-hmm. audience. So we have that as well. So whereas the first company was very data analytic focused, mm-hmm. this is kind of more broad tech cloud infrastructure based, right? So then we have the Education Technology Group, which is basically a sister company to the Converge business. Mm-hmm. And that business does the exact same thing as a Converge business, but they do it only in education. the education. Yeah, got it. Right. So K through 12 and higher. Mm-hmm. And then we have another business, which is our infrastructure group. And that group is interesting because that group by itself has a couple of small little businesses that make up one business. And so I, I tell people, even though it's four companies, it might be seven or eight when you think about it. So... <laughs> But we have, you know, we have a business called OHS, which is occupational health and safety. And that so you know, that business focuses on, you know, during COVID, it was in high demand mm-hmm. and still is, mm-hmm. because you want to focus, you know, how, how to, you know, how, you know, safety regulations and all those things that's happening in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you are, you know, if you are a company like a 3M, for example, right, and you, you want to talk about going after decision makers in that occupational health and safety space, and you have a safety product, you come to us. Right. We have a we have a brand called Security Today, and Security does physical security and cybersecurity B two B marketing and media. So we help companies in those spaces reach an audience. We have a brand within Security Today. Unfortunately, or fortunately, we have a brand called Campus Security Life Safety, where we try to focus and help people understand the latest in how to protect campus. And we just had a shooting right now that happened in Nashville, which was so sad. You know, um, it's. Um, it's a place where we try to provide decision makers with with the latest of, of how to potentially protect their campuses, right. right? And it's unfortunate that business exists, but it, it does, and we try to do our part there. Mm-hmm. So then we have other small little businesses. We have a Spaces for Learning group. We have a home. We have a home mobile um, home medical um, business, a mobile management business as well. You know, and so so when you when you add up all those, uh, you know different businesses, mm-hmm. that, 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 that's kind of where you are. So those are the core businesses. And, you know, they, they, they have, there's some synergies in that, that, you know, you know, there's only one of the businesses does a little bit of print, but events are across all the mm-hmm. businesses. Webinars are across all the businesses. Lead gen is basically through all the businesses. You know, marketing brand development is through all the businesses. Mm-hmm. If you look at all the brands we have at 1105, there's over 55 brands. Right. So there's four, there might be four companies, but it's over 55 brands. Right. So it's a, it's a pretty diverse portfolio. So, you know, what would you say as, as, you know, leading four companies in 55 brands are your biggest challenges? <laughs> Look, I think, as I mentioned, I think at the start of the call, you know, I think, you know, my big thing is, is that is getting, making people understand that not all four companies are at the same level. Right. It's not, so you, you so like, like, you know, I have one-on-ones with all my direct reports on Mondays, right? And I have to switch my mind between <laughs> right, one-on-ones, companies. Yeah. right? Because I'm talking about one company for, for 45 minutes and I have to talk about another company for 45 minutes. And you have to remember all those things. So, so it's a fairly complex situation, right? If you ask me kind of what keeps me up at night right now, uh, you know, not a lot. I'll tell you, I, I think, you know, I, th- I think on the plus side, over the next two to three years, the majority of the workforce is going to be Gen Z and millennial. Mm-hmm. I would agree. And for the first time, in the first time, women are going to have a slight majority in the workplace, and I think they require a different type of leadership. Mm-hmm. And that, that's why I call it enlightened leadership, because I think there's a lot of disruption coming, and that disruption has started with the advent of ChatGPT and all these generative AI tools. And I think if you ask me if there's anything that's going to keep me up at night is how do we pivot as a company to understand and appreciate these tools that are coming? And what does that mean to our workforce? What does that mean for our audience? How, how do we get that information out to people? Because, you know, you know, how, 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 how are you able to adopt these things to become maybe more efficient? How do you, you know, how do you, how do you grow revenue using ChatGPT and generative AI tools? And it's coming. I mean, it's coming and anybody who tells you it's not coming mm-hmm. is living in a dreamland and they're going to get left behind. Right. What are some of the mistakes you've made and, and why do you think you've made them? I think the biggest mistake I made, I've made is that sometimes you, 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 you hope that maybe 
someone who you're leading on the team can get it together and you realize that maybe they're not the right fit and you hold on for them maybe a little bit longer than you should have. Yeah. Very common. Right. And why do you do that? Well, because you care, you're human, mm-hmm. right? You, you do your best. You don't, you know, you, you realize that if you, if you punt, there's going to be a domino effect of challenges that you have to deal with. And so, you know, you got to do what you got to do, right? It is what it is. So I think, you know, I think I probably have done that. I, I, so I think I've done that. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, when I, when I first went to China for Dell, I think one of the biggest mistakes I made was uh, my ego was a little bit in the way, right? Because I'm the guy that Michael Dell sent to China. Yep. So that, that, that was a challenge for the first six months. All impressed with yourself that you might, that you probably were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, so that was a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did that epiphany come to you and, and what did you change about that yourself? Well, look, I mean, I think in that particular case, you know, it was probably one of the, probably outside of, I don't, I don't even think COVID was all that bad for me, to be honest with you, but uh, there was a six month window there where it was probably the worst six months of my business career. Because remember, you're, you're, you're in China and this was before China is China today. This was in 2000. I mean, China today, it's bullet trains everywhere and, you know, it's a, you know, it's whatever, right? You got a Ferrari on every street corner, whatever the case might be, right? But now, but back in 2000, it was hard, still is hardcore coming to China, but even even 10 times harder than it is today, right? You know, and so, you know, I I realized something had to change and you realize that I'm not going to change China. I had to change to fit China. And so what I did was I found two employees, uh, Ronald and Bessie, and, uh, I convinced them that my what I wanted to do was right and what we needed to do was 100% correct. And they believed in that vision. And I recruited them to kind of be my eyes and ears. So I stepped back and I let them be, you know, I became the wizard behind the curtain and they became the face of the, they became the face of, of the leadership team. You know, and it's not like I was, I had an ego when I was in, when I was working for Austin or working here in LA or whatever for Dell, but it's kind of, you know, hey, I'm, I'm in China. You guys, you know, I'm, here to, I'm here because Michael Dell told me to come here, right? It's kind of cool. So anyway, so you you know you you, you once you check your ego at the door, a, a lot of things can change. Yeah, so it's amazing. Yeah, and that was twenty years ago, twenty three mm-hmm. years ago. So you know it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it was fairly or still early in my career, right? Mm-hmm. And so so it's something that I just have taken with me. So so you talked early on, Rajiv, about uh, you know sharing things like HR and finance and so on and so forth among the different companies. Um, does that include marketing or because you have these companies are so different, is marketing have to be done differently? No, marketing is done in the, in the each individual. Okay. Group. That's what I figured. Each, each, because you, you, like I said, you have TDWI, the data analytics company. Right. They're, well, they're doing I, marketing that's why, data yeah, data. that's why I asked because that's yeah. what I figured you were going to so, say, but I wanted to, I didn't want to leave it unasked. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good question. Right. Um, so, so you've got about a hundred, hundred ish employees among the different companies. So each company is fairly small, right? Um, and 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 how you know how would you say your if you look at your three group presidents, how do they manage the culture among their teams? And if and and if I were to meet with their teams, what would their you know what do you think their teams would say about the cultures in these different companies? So so a couple of things here is that if you look at my management team. Every single person on my management team has been promoted from within. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. So we, you know, we are relatively small, so not, not a lot of upward movement, but we do, or I make a conscious decision to try to do everything I can to build that team from within. Mm-hmm. So they understand, they know what the teams that go through on a daily basis. So that's number one. You know, number two is, you know, they, they, they do an amazing job of, of practicing well, what I call the five pillars of enlightened leadership. Mm-hmm. So they, they go out of their way to show their team gratitude. They're incredibly resilient and they take that resiliency across the group. You know, they, they have a lot of empathy for their teams and they have a lot of empathy for their customer mm-hmm. base. They measure the right things. Every two weeks they have certain KPIs, different measurement things, and they hold themselves accountable and, and they hold their teams accountable and we, we're very open with that dialogue and we're very direct and we talk about what's working, what's not working, what do they need, what support they need, what help they need. We do all those kinds of things. And they're also very transparent with, with where we are in the business. You know, we do that through our recognition events. They do that through their town halls. 
you know, they do that mm-hmm. through, you know, through the, whatever the game nights might be. They do that through our lunches, dinners, what we might, however we might do our holiday parties, our get togethers, all those kinds of things. So we do it through all those different types mm-hmm. of tools and, and, and avenues and it's working and it's working as is because my, because our attrition rate is relatively right. low compared to, I think, the majority of the workforce. You, know, you hear stories that 90% of workers are looking for a job. Yeah, I don't buy that. that there, 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 there is, you know, there's a great resignation happening. Yeah. Well, in, in, in the heart of the great resignation, our attrition rate was less than 5%. Right. So clearly you're doing something so well. So why, and, and listen, we, we, we don't pay the most, we don't pay the least, but we provide a lot of flexibility for people to have a life. Right. And if that's what's important to them, that's, you know, those are the kind of employees you're going to attract and those are the ones that'll stay with you. You know, it's, it's being, it's being aware of, <laughs> I've told this story to so many people. Um, there's a story in my book um, about a very well-known tech firm. Uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine. This is like in 2009 when I started building this process it, it, of my business. And I, I asked him, he was, I think at that point in third line, third line sales manager. And I, I, he said, well, you know, we XYZ company, you know, we know what we're looking for in field salespeople. And I said to him, well, how do you know that person wants to come work for you? Insert name of company. And I mean, there was just silence on the other end of the phone. I don't know how many seconds went by. And he finally said, you know, I don't know. That's a really good question. You know, to the point being, you have to ask people what they need and what they want. Right. So, you know, if you are delivering to your employees what they need and want, which is the flexibility to work from wherever they want, uh, get their job done, however that looks like, and so on and so forth, you don't need to be the person who pays the most amount of money because that is probably more valuable to them. I mean, yes, does everybody need to make a living and pay their bills? Of course. So, you know, I I do a little bit of executive coaching Mm -hmm. for some YPO people Mm -hmm. as well. And we talk a lot about culture in those sessions. And what I try to tell them to focus on is focus on one small benefit a quarter and one big one a year. Mm-hmm. Small one. So for example, for us, we did, we did the paid off, paid day off to go vote in mental wellness right. days. That was pretty big. Right. Um, we, you know, we, um, it, you know, small thing, bereavement policy. You, you don't know until you need it. Right. Mm-hmm. Most companies, I think 90% of companies have a three day bereavement policy. <laughs> You can't do you can't do anything in three days, no. depending on who it is, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a family member or whatever, there's no, no. way, no, no way you can take care of stuff in three yeah. days, right? You, you you're still processing it for three days, right? So we went to ten days, right? You increase your four hundred one k match, you you know, pro, you know whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? So so there's all these different things that that you kind of come up with, and so you know there's ways to do these kinds of things, and so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just a matter of finding out what works. You, you, you know, you're definitely going to figure it out, you know, yep. you know, more often than not. Yeah, I agree. You already said, you know, you've, I've got my one-on-ones on Mondays with my, with my group, uh, group presidents. But other than that, like, what does your day-to-day look like as a leader? What do you spend your time doing? So look, I mean, I think if you asked me this question four or five years ago, it was very kind of somewhat in the weeds. And now I spend, I would say I spend a, a, quite a bit of my time on strategy on new ideas, on vision, mm-hmm. on mission, on you know core values, on on diving into you know the, the I have I have an amazing kind of finance and, and I have an amazing kind of director of financial planning and analysis mm-hmm. and we spend a lot of time together going through trends. We so we look at a lot of trend analysis of where we are. We spend I spend a lot of time on culture more than, you know, more so than maybe he was five years, mm-hmm. four or five years ago, you know, you spend, you know, and you, 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 then I, you know, and I get some of my life back as well. Right. You know, I, I went from working, you know, 60 hours a week and I, you know, and you, you know, now you're working 40 hours a week or 45 right. hours a week, or whatever the case might be. But, you know, it's, you know, but here's the thing, right? You, you know, when I went to, when I was at Dell, I, you know, if you're a director level and above at Dell back in the mid nineties, you got trained on the Danaher business management system. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this big company yep. called Danaher, right? They have this thing called the business management system and you got trained on that. And then when I did my MBA, they also trained me on the Danaher business management system. I also got trained on the blue ocean strategy. Yeah. 
when I got, did my MBA. Great book. Right? And I actually got certified in the blue. Mm-hmm. I actually got certified in the blue ocean strategy. Mm-hmm. And so I bring that up because those are the kinds of things that allow you to then go pivot and fix your day to where, you know, and you realize at the end of the day that the more I have my team in meetings, the, the, less, the less they're actually doing any work. Are. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah. so we, I, I have eliminated probably 70% of yeah, meetings. Yeah, good. Good. You know, 70% mm-hmm. of meetings. And so... No, I mean, I talk to everybody. I talk to everybody almost on a daily basis, but yeah, listen, pe- yeah, meetings. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there was a figure. I'm, I'm not going to be able to remember exactly what it was, but something, something. I remembered reading. I can't even remember when it was because, like, the two years of COVID just kind of blurred everything at that point. But you know, they talked about the the like seventy percent of people are you know or seventy percent of time wasted is because of meetings. I mean, it's ridiculous. That's not the exact number, but something. I mean, something just astronomical like that the amount of time we spend in meetings that are that when we should be out just working you know when you have meetings when you need to have them you sit down when you need to do that right i mean it's it's i think there's a that's that's really important um rajiv is there anything that um i haven't asked you we haven't talked about i neglected to ask you that you want to bring up no, I, I I appreciate being on being on with you. You know, I'm so impressed with everything that you do, and your podcast is awesome. And you know, I just tell people to go buy the book. Yeah, <laughs> buy my book or buy your book. <laughs> buy both. Both. <laughs> buy, buy both. In fact, I have to. I will put yours on. I will put yours on uh, on my to do list. Is it on uh, Audible yet? It is good. I just got on Audible like in the last two weeks. I'm pretty excited about that. So it's on Audible and it's on Spotify. Yeah, fantastic. So, well, uh, with that said, Rajiv Kapoor, CEO uh, of 1105 Media, thanks so much for being with me. This was, I mean, this is, I think you were the first interview I've had that really, um, that was running kind of something a little bit different, you know, that have has a number of different companies underneath you. So that's, that brings a different point of view to people. Well, um, I'm, 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 again, thank you for having me and I hope your audience enjoyed it and um, I wish everybody the best of luck. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And If you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.